You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Let's open up God's Word. We're going to be in Psalm 112, so please open your Bibles. It feels good to say that. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 112. We often, we love studying a psalm here at Harvest Oakville in the month of August. We're going to do that in a mini-series over the next two weeks, Lord willing. We're going to be tackling through Psalm 112. We'll study the first half this week and the second half next. And our mini-series title for this psalm, Psalm 112, is Immovable. Immovable. What we're going to see and study here is the believer's The believer in Jesus Christ, of course, that is. The believer's absolute security and stability that is found as you realize that you belong to Almighty and the living God. We are absolutely stable and secure in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are immovable. You might be in many different places of being tempted to think otherwise. You are in the right place right now to have the assurance of God uh, find your heart and speak to your life. Here's our, th- our theme verse, verse 6. Look at verse 6 for me, Psalm 112, verse 6. For the righteous will never be moved. He or she will be remembered forever. How's that for a promise? Having a bad day? The righteous will never be moved. Uh, you, I mean, think about this. You will be remembered forever, like forever, by the living God. You will never be lost, never be forgotten, never be overlooked. When you are chosen, you are secure, you are stable. You might feel fragile, you might have the ups and downs, you might be going through all these different places of insecurity, but at the end of the day, when you belong to the Lord, you are his, and you will be remembered forever. That's why this psalm is chosen right now. We remind ourselves who's in charge and who we belong to. If you're like me, if you're like me, you look around our society, our culture, our days right now, and you get overwhelmed at the instability surrounding us, overwhelmed at times as the apparent chaos approaching us, the panic filling us, the uncertainty upon us. And what happens when you look around and you see all these things happening? Well, you're tempted with fear. You're tempted with, with doubt. You hear the awful whispering lies of Satan as he begins to say again, did God really say? Is God really going to be there for you? It tempts us to cower, to give up, to give in. Loved ones, think about it. In our day, so many houses are being built on sand. All these beautiful houses all around us. All these people taking all this time to make everything look so perfect on the outside. But in reality, their house is built on sand. There is no foundation that will last. So many bigger barns are being built. For what purpose? None. In the end, they don't last. So many people being tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Whatever comes next, whatever the next theme is or the next fad or the next conviction in our society, people just going back and forth, whatever. There's no foundation of truth that lasts. So much grass is withering. Grass springs up and it looks okay for the moment, but it withers and it fades and then gone. 
But listen, loved ones, the word of the Lord stands forever. And listen to what the word of the Lord says and get ready to be encouraged. This is our text next week, but just I want to show you the psalm that we've entered into. Verse 6 again. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Check this out, man. If this doesn't underline your Bible, you've got to change that now. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. That is awesome. Verse 8, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid. And what a theme for today. Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Why? For the, for the righteous will never be moved. Listen, are you fearful today? The Holy Spirit brings faith. To those who are uncertain today, the Holy Spirit brings fact. For those who are stressed with anxiety and instability, the Holy Spirit brings assurance and immovability because the righteous will never be moved. We, we need these messages to us today. By the way, just as we begin in Psalm 112, I always want you to step back just far enough to understand what's happening. Notice the Holy Spirit here has written these things down because he's anticipating what we'll struggle with. You know what's happening? Why are all, all the songs we sang today based on Psalm 121 and just God's word and all these assurances of in storms and wars and when we feel that we're you know, on the brink of whatever and how God's word comes back over? Why does God's word provide so many places of comfort and promises and assuring us that he's in charge in the midst and we're most afraid? He does this because he knows this is what we'll struggle with. He knows you and I will be tempted in all these areas and because he's the God of all knowledge and he's such a God of comfort, he continues to remind us of who he is and who we live for. So be encouraged right off the bat. When you look at verse 7, he's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm. And you're sitting there going, man, I so needed to hear that. God's like, I know you did. And that's why I bring it to you again today, child, he says. Holy Spirit caring for us even as we begin to open up God's word. And so today as we talk about being immovable in the Lord, our sermon title for this message, the front half of Psalm 112, is Immovable Blessing. Immovable Blessing. There's a blessing found only in the Lord which is indestructible, imperishable, and immovable. It's a blessing guaranteed for those who are pursuing the Lord God Almighty, His Son, Jesus Christ. This blessing is ours for the taking in the grace of God. It's an immovable blessing. And I pray right now that I've got your attention. That you will consider the concept of immovable blessing. And you will say, that sounds good. And I say, amen. And the Lord and the Holy Spirit says an even greater amen because that is the point of our text initially. Immovable blessing in the midst of such an unstable and uncertain world. Psalm 112, verse 1. First five verses is what we will deal with, Lord willing, today. Praise the Lord, the psalmist says. Praise the Lord. See that? Blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Why? Well, here's why. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. 
Why? For the righteous will never be moved. Here's where we go today from these first five verses. I'm going to give it to you now right off the bat. We're going to unpack it as we go. Through this psalm, again, the first five verses, we're going to see this. The praise, the promise, and the provision. The praise, the promise, and the provision as they all pertain to immovable blessing. Let's jump right in. Number one, then, the praise. The praise as it relates to blessing, which is immovable within our lives. Notice the very first phrase in the psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's a great phrase, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Now, a phrase easily overlooked. You probably read Psalm 112 and you see praise the Lord. Oh, look at it. It's another cliche found in Scripture. Incorrect. It's not some cliche. It's not some filler that's added here when the psalmist doesn't know what to say. Hey, we do that sometimes, right? We're in a moment of awkward silence in our Christianese conversations. And we're sitting there going, uh, 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 praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And we say, we look at stuff, and we can say stuff, what have I been thinking about it? We say grace, we, we give thanks for our food, and we're not even really thinking about talking to the Lord, and we're just spouting out these phrases that we've learned from childhood, or we hear other people say, praise the Lord is one of those. It can become something we say, but forget to really understand what we're saying. The psalmist does not have that problem. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Every word here counts. And when he says praise the Lord, he's praising the Lord. His perspective in life is a mindset of praise to God. And think of how many times praise the Lord occurs in Scripture. I mean, just around Psalm 112. Look at Psalm 111, verse 1. Psalm 111, verse 1. The psalmist says, praise the Lord. Flip back the other way. Look at Psalm 113, verse 1 and verse 9. It's called an inclusio. The bookends of Psalm 113, the whole thing is surrounded by praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, verse 1, verse 9. Praise the Lord. Again, not filler. This is the psalmist's mindset, his M.O., his attitude of gratitude, his mindset of living, his focus of worship. It's the praise, man. He is filled with praise. And we think about ourselves sometimes and we think about how we drop into that awful mindset of being perpetual complainers. Just me? Sometimes we find ourselves looking around this world and all we want to see are the things we don't have and the things we wish we had and the circumstances aren't going our way and whatever it is. And we find ourselves whining and complaining and murmuring to the God of glory. The psalmist here, really, he has no time for that. Why? Because he's not a perpetual complainer. He's a perpetual praiser. A perpetual praiser. And notice here, his praise is immovable. Why? Why? Because his vision is on his immovable God. See, when your eyes are on the Lord, you never cease to have a reason for praise. And so instead of complaining on our situation, his eyes are lifted up on his God and he recognizes the attributes and the beauty of his God and from his lips then comes praise. He doesn't walk through life and see what he doesn't have. He isn't focused on who he isn't. Rather, he sees what he does have in his Lord and he sees who he is in Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So the psalmist, he's... He's walking through his garden. He will see a flower and he will say, praise the Lord. He will be out for a stroll at night and he 
He sees the stars in the universe, and he looks up, and all he can do is say, praise the Lord. I remember walking out of the worship center last night, last night's service, and I'm not sure if you saw this, man, but the sun, I don't know exactly what's going on, man, but the sun, it just looked, there was like a mist or something, and you could look at the sun, and, and I just walked out from the doctor preaching this, and I just, three words came to mind, man. Praise the Lord, look at that, that is awesome. This past week, I mean, this is what happens, right? When you're in the mindset of praise and you're, and you're focused on the Lord, you get a glass of water in the midst of a humid day and you genuinely are holding this water and you say from your heart, praise the Lord, amen, church? Praise the Lord, and you mean it. It's not a cliche, you mean it. God, I praise you that I can drink this cold glass of water when I'm thirsty right now. That's a powerful way to live. Walking to my house recently and saw my wife. Three words. Praise the Lord. Hey, hey. That's a good place to be, men. That's a good place that the Lord wants to put within you. That you see the blessings you've been given and you choose to respond with praise. Because you know you have a blessing that is immovable. Question. Are you a complainer or a praiser? Okay, we're learning about God's working in us right now. Man, when God's moving in us, he's filling us and working in us. We, we, we find praise coming. Okay, now, are you a complainer or a praiser? If you really want to live out this challenge, if you really want to find out, then I encourage you then, I challenge you before the end of today, find someone who really knows you, spouse, really good friend, whoever it might be, and ask them. Ask them honestly. Hey, uh, am I a complainer or a praiser you know i have good days bad days but but generally speaking do you do you think i'm a complainer or a and don't get mad at them when they don't give you the answer that you want to hear all right <laughs> but it, no honestly like we're trying to grow um we're trying to find out because often we don't see our own blind spots we don't see our, our own weaknesses and i sincerely challenge you and some of you right now you don't need to ask anyone the holy spirit's already told you ah you gotta work on the praise part right the Holy Spirit's so gentle and like, and like so loving, but he's just gently convicting us. Remember the difference in guilt and conviction, right? We're not feeling guilty. We're forgiven in Christ. But the conviction comes in to say, you know, you know this, is, this is an area that I really want. This is the Holy Spirit. I really want to see you have more joy because it's available to you. And it's a matter of accessing that which God wants to give to us. I want you to notice too here, and then we'll move on to the second thing. I just... I want you to see this, okay? The more the psalmist sees his immovable God, then the more his heart is filled with immovable praise. Right? So the single greatest reason we don't have praise coming from our lives is because we're focused on our lives. Because we're focused on our circumstances. Because we're looking around at what's happening. But the moment your eyes are lifted up, I lift my eyes up, right, to the Lord where my help comes from. Well, if I look down here, of course, that's depressing. But I look up, the more the psalm, his eyes are set on his immovable God, and he sees his immovable God, and from his heart comes immovable praise. Because our God is only perfect and only awesome, and he's the one who holds all of life. Are you a complainer or a praiser? Remember, Jesus says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words we speak reveals the reality within. Number one, the praise. Number two, the promise now. The promise. You're like, what promise? First one. Praise the Lord. Now, why is he praising the Lord? Here's why. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, 
the woman who greatly delights in God's commandments. Now, don't miss this. Notice how the psalmist's praise is fueled by God's promise. That always happens. See, the psalmist here, his mind is filled with the promises of God. He's approaching that. So the first thing that comes out of his mouth as his mind is filled with the promises of God is praise the Lord. And he says praise the Lord, and now he reveals why he's praising God with the promises of God. Praise the Lord. God is so awesome because blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Now, the word blessed there, this should be familiar to us. The word blessed here, it's almost a, an Old Testament beatitude. Uh, it means happy, fulfilled, joy-saturated, um, satisfied. The Bible Dictionary um, def- defines this word in Psalm 112 as a heightened state of happiness and joy. Okay, so it's been a while since I've been able to do this, but this is where when we, when we see blessed is the man, happy is the man, fulfilled is the woman, satisfied is the child, right now it's, right, which is the doors for you, it's wisdom, okay? This is a wisdom moment. Why is it a wisdom moment? Whatever follows in verse 1 is the key and the secret to the happy, God-defined happy, joy-filled, satisfied life. Whatever follows, we're about to find out why many of us are so miserable. See, what do you mean? We're about to find out what many of us don't have and who many of us are not. Which is why we're so grumpy and so miserable and we whine and we complain and so pessimistic or, or, or cynical, whatever it might be. We're about to find out. Now I really got some of your attention. Praise the Lord for that. Whatever comes next is one of the secrets to the satisfied life. Again, it's so important. Look at verse 1. Here it is. Ready? Blessed, happy, satisfied, fulfilled. Here it is, here it is. Blessed is the man or woman who, one, fears the Lord, two, greatly delights in his commandments. That verse right there, you live by that verse right there, your life will change. If you believe that, if you believe that, that that satisfied, blessed, happy, joy-saturated is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who fears the Lord, and who greatly delights in the word of God or the commandments of Christ. When you believe this and live this, loved ones, listen, then you are guaranteed to be in a place of immovable blessing. I did not say you're guaranteed to have a life free from trial or pain or hurt, but you are guaranteed to have God working and blessing in your life. Again, two things. The fear of the Lord, greatly delighting in his commandments, okay? What is the fear of the Lord? Let's take them one at a time. The fear of the Lord is not people coming from all different places, which I love so much. Some very mature in Christ. Some are infants in Christ. Some are being saved. Uh, today we pray. Some are just you know, uh, uh, mature in what the Lord has done. The fear of the Lord is not um, you're terrified of God as an autocratic dictator. Please don't harm me. Please don't harm me. That's not the fear of the Lord. John Murray has an excellent definition we've used here at the church for years. This is beautiful. I'll read it slowly because I want us to get it. I know it's kind of wordy. But here's the fear of the Lord, the fear of God. The fear of God in which, now watch this, in which godliness consists. See, 
you, you, can't, you can't see godliness in your life apart from the fear of the Lord. I was in Psalm 25 this morning, and Psalm 25, it says the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Wow. I, just, I read this morning, I was like, there it is again. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. In Proverbs, godliness consists in the fear of, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you can't see true godliness in your life. Because it's the fear of the Lord which constrains or produces true adoration and love. It's the fear of the Lord which consists in awe, reverence, and honor, and worship. Now watch this. And all of these on the highest level of exercise. Right? So, so um, anti-fear of the Lord, you're, you're in church and you got your hands raised, worshiping with one hand and, and, and checking your text messages with your other. Right? No, no, that's not what we're talking about. That's a divided heart, and that's a metaphor illustration for a lot of our lives. Kind of one side, we're like, yeah, yeah. Another side, we're not even clued in. The highest level of exercise, only produced by the Spirit of God, but for the desired heart, it is the reflex in our, that's a great phrase, the reflex in our consciousness, almost the instinct towards the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. Just sit, just sit. That's also then why John Murray says this. He says, and listen so carefully, the highest reaches of sanctification, sanctification is growing like Christ. The highest reaches of sanctification are only realized in the fear of God. Now think about that. Stop for a second, pause, pause, pause. This is very important. A lot of us want to become more like Jesus Christ. We want God's blessing. We want to see his, his nature become more of our nature. We want to grow in Christ and we should. Listen, it is impossible to grow in your height in Jesus Christ apart from the fear of the Lord. You, you keep hitting a ceiling. You can't, you can't overcome that area. You can't grow farther. You can't because, because there's an absence of the fear of God. It's that because blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord. I mean, think about it. Think about this way. Look at um, Psalm 111, verse 10. Okay? Just, just, just right above. I love that this is right here, just, just, just a few verses up. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear, I've always, uh, Proverbs 1 says this, Proverbs 9 says the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, okay? So, so what do we know? You want to be smart? Fear of the Lord. Let's flip it, loved ones. Let's flip it. The absence of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of stupidity. Oh, and think, think. This is why so many portions of the church in our day are so dumb. Because we've lost the fear of God, and therefore we've lost the wisdom of God. And when you lose the wisdom of God, you're left with the wisdom of man. And when you have the wisdom of man, nothing good is ultimately going to happen. When you're left with the wisdom of man, you start to tell God what his book should have said. You start to tear pages out of this. You start to compromise your life. You start to capitulate to culture. You start to go about it your way, not God's, because in the end, you're worshiping man or self or society, and you failed to truly worship the living God because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And without the fear of the Lord, we won't be wise. Men, listen up. Men, 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 listen up. Leaders, listen up. 
You want wisdom. You are not the exception to this rule. You cannot find wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. Mothers, women, godly, women in this church right now, you want to see the wisdom you so desperately need? God is telling you the path to how this is accessed again right now. If God is a compartment among many others, if he gets our lip service, if we treat him as a genie or a vending machine, that is not the fear of the Lord. Pause long enough right now just to say, God, forgive us. God, forgive me and my sinful heart when I treat you as such and I fail to give you the worship that you're due. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I can't grow in Christ apart from the pursuit of the fear of the Lord and true honor of him. And I want you to see this briefly too. Notice what's always, always coupled with the fear of the Lord. Verse 1. Notice always, always. Blessed is a man or woman who fears the Lord. Notice here. Who greatly, it's just, it's all connected. Who greatly delights in his commandments. What happens here? We cannot fear the Lord apart from the word of God. This very message is proving this right now. The only reason we have this message is because God's word is open and we're going through it verse by verse, okay? Again, we have to see this, okay? When we're moving in the fear of the Lord, man, we love God's word. Notice, notice delights in God's commandment. Notice greatly delights in God's commandments. Spurgeon says this. He says, the person who is filled with the fear of the Lord, I love this. If you're filled with the fear of the Lord, here's how you know. Holiness is your happiness. Holiness isn't something that you're so bugged by or annoyed. Holiness is your happiness. Devotion is your delight. And truth is your treasure. That's, that's, that's verse one right there. That's verse one. I just want us to pause. I just, I just, I just want to give some time for the Holy Spirit just to, just to speak quietly, powerfully. Holiness is my happiness and devotion is, is my delight and truth, truth is my treasure when I, am, when I am moving in the fear of the Lord and I begin to see the promises of God which begin to change my life. No wonder Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? Like it's, it's the love for God, the fear of the Lord, and the desire to obey and keep his commandments. Again, no exceptions to this no exceptions everyone here we have the praise we have the promise and now we see this thirdly the provision the provision what god promises to provide for those who fear him okay so look at verse two now okay so verse one sets up the rest of the psalm right blessed is the man or woman who fears the lord who greatly delights in his commandments why well here's why here come the blessings now the blessing now is, is, or the provision of God is now detailed all the way to the end of the psalm. We'll go through a few right now and save the rest, Lord willing, for next week. Here's what God promises to provide for those who fear him. Verse 2, uh, he says, I promise, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs 
with justice, okay? So we have four promises, one verse at a time, of God's provision for those who fear him. They'll be on the screen beside me one by one. First provision is this, the promise of the provision of family impact. Family impact. Verse 2, notice the direct development of the man or woman who fears the Lord. His offspring will be mighty in the land. What does that mean? It means this. For the church, for the group of people, for the family who genuinely fear the Lord, God is promising that successive generations of God-fearing men and women will be produced in some form and some way. God honors those who fear the Lord by producing others who also fear the Lord, both in the immediate family and the church family as well. Why? Because those who fear the Lord, they will have influence. If you're like me, man, you, you, you have been blessed with family members in previous generations that were not perfect, that were sinners like you and me, but in the end, they had a life of consistency, of honoring, and the fear of the Lord. And, and they have long since passed now. They are with the Lord. But when you look back upon their influence, when you recall their character, when you see their devotion, the legacy of their lives still lives on in you. And as you consider them, you are inspired and you are convicted and you are encouraged to live the life that they also lived in the fear of the Lord as the best they could by the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of us, even in this church, our church 15 years old now, How many saints have passed away into glory? And how many of these saints, not perfect, but wow, they love the one who was perfect. And they have left legacies of those who have feared the Lord and inspiring us to do the same. God is promising that no matter how dark this world gets, when he finds people who genuinely fear him, that will not go unnoticed. Successive generations will be impacted Parents, never ever underestimate the power of your life being lived for the Lord Jesus Christ in the fear of the Lord. You know the single greatest testimony that brought me to Christ eventually was I could not deny the life and the pattern and the devotion of my mom and dad over so many years and particularly my dad in my teenage years. He caught fire for the Lord and I watched at a distance as I was ruining my life. But I watched at a distance for so many months and years. I said, what he has I know I need. And eventually my knee would bow and my tongue would confess by the grace of God. But one of the greatest indications of why this happened, because in the end, I would never admit this to him at the time. But I knew he had something figured out that I had no idea about as I struggled and strived after all the sinful desires of my life. That's the power of the fear of the Lord. You might be in a situation right now, you're so discouraged And you feel like it's all hopeless. My mom thought she had failed as a Christian mother as all three kids were walking away from the Lord. But by God's grace, years and years of prayer and faithful consistency, the Lord honored her requests and my dad's and all three children living for Jesus today. Don't give up. Realize the promises, what God says. He promises to provide the family on whatever he decides. 
You know, I see the young men and women in this church, and one of the things when you're away on sabbatical, you have time to reflect, and one of the things I realized when I was away is I'm not really that young anymore. <laughs> you know, it might sound silly, but when you start the church and you're 28, and now I'm turning 44 in just a short period of time from now, and some of you are like, you're 44? I thought you were way younger than that. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I got a lot of gray hair coming in right now, man. This is pretty exciting, right? The body is groaning, groaning for glory. Amen, church. Amen. Yeah. Woo. All right. Anyways, one of the things I realized is you're like, you know, you're reaching your mid-40s and you, you know, I got a lot of years underneath me now. And there's a lot of people and a generation below me that this is the future. It's the future. And I'm just so encouraged by this right now because I feel like the Lord is just saying to us, you know, that we're so thankful for the maturity that's in our midst. But he's saying, if you continue to honor me in the midst of this culture that is increasingly dark, would you honor me? You fear me. You don't give in. You don't capitulate. You don't give up. You hold to what is true. And he says, I will honor that. I will raise up men and women. I will raise up young men and women. It's happening right now. I met with several this week who God is giving an undeniable, almost unexplainable conviction to serve Jesus Christ in this time. When from a practical sense, you look around and you say, it doesn't make sense, but God says, yeah, but my ways are not your ways. That's awesome. Family impact. Second promise of provision is this, indestructible treasure. Indestructible treasure. Look at verse three. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. I mean, you can look at verse 3, and if your exegesis, if your interpretation is incorrect, you may, all right, so I get to get rich, man. If I fear the Lord, God makes me rich. The answer is yes and no. Depends what you mean by rich. Under the old covenant, right? Under the old covenant, material blessing was directly related to God's promises. I mean, the promised land is the perfect example. I will show you a promised land flowing with milk and honey. I will provide through your cattle. I will make sure your grapevines are abundant. I will provide rain and the earth. And it was all related to their status of life and the abundance of physical, material blessing. Now, in the New Testament, New Covenant, no such promises are made. But, let me say this. God promises to provide for his children, Philippians 4. He promises to Give daily bread and clothes on our back. He feeds the lilies and the birds. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna clothe us and feed us. He promises elsewhere that when we give generously to his kingdom, he promises we will reap what we sow in terms of grace. You say, what does grace look like? Whatever God decides it to be. Could be joy, it could be strength. It could be practical provision. It's what God decides, but he promises he will increase grace. So what ultimately do we take this, though, to mean under the new covenant? The new covenant understands there is no greater riches than that is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate treasure. You want to know wealth and riches? Then you look up and you understand that you are a co-heir of Jesus Christ. If you have been set free from sin and you have placed your life and faith of forgiveness for your sins in Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and was raised from the dead to defeat death forever. Then Ephesians 1 says that you have received every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. 
It says that to the praise of the riches of his glorious grace, the riches of his inheritance. Loved ones, always remember, when the day comes Jesus returns and you're standing him face to face, you will not be looking around and trying to figure out how much money you have. Like this, right? The only, the only thing in that moment you're like, man, do I belong to him? Do I belong to him? I'm in Jesus Christ. I get everything he has, I get because of his grace upon my life. You are not thinking about your car. You are not thinking about your money. You're not thinking about the house. You're not thinking about your stuff. You're not worried about your wardrobe. You're only thinking about Jesus Christ. That is eternal reality. And the Lord says, how about you try living that now? A treasure that is indestructible. The cars break down, the houses fall apart, the clothes start to get eaten with moths. The treasure in Jesus Christ lasts forever. You know what the psalmist is also indicating here? It says in verse 3, his righteousness endures forever. You know what this means, which is so awesome? His reverence is more powerful than his investments. His, his, his reverence is more powerful than his investments. So if the wealth increases, his character is not diminished by that distraction. He is fearing the Lord, and so therefore he knows he cannot serve both God and money. His character withstands the temptation um, of this world. Spurgeon said this. He said this so aptly and so wonderfully. He says, often when gold comes in, the gospel goes out. One more time. When gold comes in, the gospel goes out. You can apply that to a pastor. You could apply that to leaders. You could apply that to a church. You could apply it to every single person here right now. So let's just stop for a couple seconds here and let's just let that be applied, Okay. I've got to ask the question, has, has money distracted you away from Jesus Christ? Is it right now? Do you check your bank accounts more than your Bible? It's a problem. Where's your heart at? Just be honest. The Lord knows everything. You can't hide from him. Are you more focused? Are you more lusting after? Are you more desirous of earthly treasure than the treasure that is ultimately found in Jesus Christ? If we are in that place, we are forfeiting blessing. The very blessing we seek is the blessing that will not last. God has given us everything we can ever want in his son. Do we have the character to withstand the temptation and lure of this world which is absolutely obsessed with everything which will not last? It's a powerful reflection. And this psalmist sees it. See, he sees it. He sees it for what it is. A third promise of provision, light within darkness. Look at verse 4. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And let me just say this right here. I love this truth so much, okay? Darkness in our world is so real. It freaks me out sometimes, man. Dark lies. Dark evil, dark circumstances. But notice the promise here. This, is, this encouraged me so much this week. I thought the Lord just saying, Robbie, you know, the darkness is growing, but he's like, when you fear the Lord, when you set your eyes in worship of me, then light dawns in the darkness for 
the upright. Like, like it's, it's, it's understanding John 1 verse 5. The light has shone in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Jesus Christ, right? We are lights of this world for Jesus Christ. So look at the promise here. Loved ones, just, 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 just be so encouraged, right? Many of us at different places, some of us tempted to be so fearful and tempted to hide and get in our little Christian bubbles and to surround ourselves with everything that kind of makes us feel safe. But the Lord's promising us. He says, listen, listen. As it gets darker, I will make you a light in situations that can't be explained humanly. Don't, don't be afraid of the darkness because I will make you light within the darkness. When all the society crowds around and caves in and all the temptation to again capitulate, the Lord says, no, no, at that very moment, I will shine you, make you a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I will make you into a Stephen, shining the light of Christ in the midst of being martyred. I will make you Paul and Silas in the midst of suffering in prison. You will sing songs of praise and hymns of glory to be light in the midst of the darkness of the prison. You can never extinguish the light of Jesus Christ. And for those who fear him, they will be lights in the midst of a very dark world. And notice, well, how, how are we lights? Verse 4 explains more. Look at verse 4. Here's how we are lights in this world. We are gracious, merciful, and righteous. We show compassion. When you fear the Lord, you become like God. When you become like God, then you become like God who is gracious and merciful. We take on the, 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 the uh, nature of God. We become more like Jesus Christ. We become gracious and merciful and righteous. We show acts of compassion. We love those around us. Question, how are we doing right now as lights in this world? So we are not called to hide we are actually called to go forward in the midst of the instability and show our stability for Christ and shine light as gracious and merciful and righteous. It's powerful. Loved ones, so many people are so hurting. So many people are desperately searching for light. We are called to be that light and God promises he will shine his light through us. And the last promise of provision that I'm done is this. God promises to provide a generous heart. Isn't this interesting? A generous heart. Look at verse 5. It is well with the man who deals generously in lens, who conducts his affairs with justice. I think what I want to say about this is, is simple but profound. Think of how generous God is. The very character of God is his abundant generosity. God is so loving and so kind and so generous, he gave his only son. He sent his only son to live and die, that he would pay for our sins. He would suffer the wrath of God on our behalf. I mean, can you, can you give anything more than your only perfect son who is eternally God and, 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 and sending him to earth to take on an earth suit, to become a human being, to dwell among those whom he has created, to send him not just to come to earth and be like, hey man, I want to tell you about how you can get to heaven and, and do good things, but he sent him to earth not just to see the people, but to die for the people. And to suffer a horrific death on a Roman cross and to be spit upon and mocked and ridiculed and beaten and scourged and ultimately crucified? Is there anything more generous than our God? 
and sending his son ultimately to die for us. Now, loved ones, when we fear the Lord, we become like the Lord. When we fear the Lord, we too are to become generous in the nature and character of our God. See, that is why a stingy, miserly Christian is an oxymoron. Are you stingy? Are you um, counting all the time but never giving? Are you a miser? Are you cheap in the negative sense of that? When we lack generosity, we lack the heart of God in, in our lives. Pause. Think. Apply. Convict Holy Spirit. The more we become like God, the more generosity fills our lives. And we find ourselves as one who generously and lends and who conducts his affairs with justice. It's powerful. God promises to provide in terms of giving us generous hearts that we might be used for his purpose and his will. Blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord and greatly delights in his commandments. They will be a man or woman who is filled with praise, who sees the promises of God and then knows the provision of God that they might live more for his glory. It begins with the fear of the Lord. And so I pray right now the Lord is using this and asking him he will give us such a sense of conviction and encouragement. And even as we sing this familiar song, we're about to sing a very familiar song, don't let it just be words you've sung a hundred times. Discipline yourself to sing it and mean it and to grow even now in the fear of the Lord. Let's just pray. Let's ask. Father, help us now to do that. By your spirit, oh God, help us, encourage us, strengthen us, Lord. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these beautiful, beautiful children of God here gathered, hungry for your word. I pray desirous to be used. And may this again, may this be one more step in the process and direction and an opportunity to grow more like Christ, to be used of Christ, to love Christ, and to shine like Christ. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.